This is Africa Emerging Podcast with your host, Tutu Adamola. We're set to showcase the unique contributions of influential Africans living in the developed economies who, against all odds, have made indelible marks in their respective professions around the world. Join me as we shape this new narrative. Hello everyone, welcome to episode 10 of the Africa Emerging Podcast. My guest on the show today is Kemi Arosanyi. She is an international trade development specialist working as the director for Africa Trade Expansion Program with the World Trade Center in Miami. She is in charge of outreach to 48 countries in Sub-Sahara Africa. In this episode of the show, we talked about our academic background, how to stand out in a team, getting into a role in corporate America, career progression. She also talked about how she overcame challenges encountered during the initial integration into corporate America. She gave a lot of insight about opportunities of trade in Africa, Africa trade expansion, and even talked about legislation such as AGOA, which is Africa Growth and Opportunity Act. This legislation assists economies of sub-Saharan Africa to improve economic relations between the United States and the region. We talked about initiatives such as Intra-Africa Trade Fair, Africa Continental Free Trade Area to promote regional trade on the African continent by creating a platform and a market access instrument to maximize the opportunity. She was so passionate about this initiative. I really enjoyed this conversation and I hope you enjoy it too. Thank you, Kemi Arosani, for joining on the Africa Imagine podcast today. It's a pleasure to have you on board. Thank you so much, Tutu, for having me, and I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you, yeah. So can we get to know you, please? I'm Kemi Arosani. I'm an international trade development specialist. I work for the World Trade Center Miami as the director for Africa Trade Expansion Program. The World Trade Center Miami is a member of the World Trade Center's Association with Global Headquarters in New York. We are part of a global network of over 300 World Trade Centers across 90 countries globally. At our location in Miami, we promote two-way trade between the Western Hemisphere and other global markets. We facilitate market access, we provide trade assistance, we advocate for trade, and we support small businesses to be able to come into the Americas market. And we also support SMEs in, within the Americas market that are interested in reaching out to other markets in terms of selling their products to other global markets, particularly in charge of the African outreach. I cover 40, the 48 countries in sub-Saharan Africa. I have been with this organization for about four years now, and that's, that's where we are. Yeah, great, 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 great to know that. So, of course, currently you live in Miami, and I know before Miami, you you did live somewhere, probably somewhere in, in Africa. Was there a specific attraction at that point in time when you relocated to the U.S.? Or did you just felt, oh, there was a need to change the environment? What, what made you move at that point in time? Okay, I'm a Nigerian. I grew up in Nigeria, had my primary education, secondary education, also my first degree, also master's and did my MBA. I did my BSc in mathematics from University of Illinois. I also had an MBA from the same university. And I worked in Nigeria for some years, over 10 years in banking. I worked for Guarantee Trust Bank for almost a decade. I left for the U.S. actually in December 2013. 
Um, because after about 10 years in banking, I had developed interest in international trade. I was the branch manager for a bank branch, the Guarantee Trust Bank branch on, on Obakran, Baja Paint branch for about four, three, four years. And I handled transactions, commercial transactions, international trade finance transactions for a lot of multinational organizations that had attended trainings locally within the bank and on international trade finance. And in the process, I developed passion for mm-hmm. international trade. And at the point when I really got burnt out on the job and I wanted to do something else, I explored, you know, to further my career in international business. So I came to the U.S. as a student to do my master's in international business. I enrolled at Florida International University at Miami. I was um, admitted and I went through the program and successfully completed the program in 2015. Wow. That's how I came to the U.S. Okay, wow, that's a great journey. You know what what you've just talked about now when you're talking about back in the banking in Nigeria and talking about trade. I remember back in those days, because I worked in banking as well, when we used to do like letter of credit. I don't know if GTB did that as well. Yeah, I handled a lot of those. Um, yeah, that, when I said trade, international trade finance transactions for, for multinational companies, I was referring to letters of credit, mm. uh, for collection guarantees and stuff like that. Yes. Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Those were interest, interesting times in banking back in Nigeria. So you coming from Nigeria then, study in the U.S., got into corporate America. It's not always something that people easily find to, you know, penetrate into the corporate world like that. I tend to find many Africans, especially Africans who have lived most of their lives back in Africa, coming to like develop economies. It's always a bit difficult to integrate quickly into the system how were you and apart from you studied here loads and loads of people come and have their mba MSAs, and all that but they still find it difficult to get into those jobs how were you able to easily penetrate and get into corporate america okay thank you for that question tutu so yes i understand that it's quite difficult for people uh, who, who grew up in other parts of the world to come into this system and integrate perfectly into the system. It's quite challenging, I agree. But for me, I, I took some steps that I would say helped me to be able to integrate into the system. Beyond my master's in international business, I wanted to know more, learn more, and also be more qualified in the career, in my career line and the, the in the profession that I have chosen to pursue after banking, which is international trade. So outside my master's in international business, I pursued certification in the industry. So I am a certified global business professional. It's a difficult exam to pass. When I was doing my master's in international business, I was also studying to get qualified to have that certification in the, you know, um, in, in the United States. Certification is administered by NASBITE International. It's a, it's a leading professional body in international trade in the, in the United States. Only a very few people have that qualification, and I was fortunate to sit for the exam, and I passed that exam. But beyond that, my, when I finished my master's, my first point of integration into the business community was through my final master's project, which was um, um, a teamwork um, given to us to address a real-life problem for a particular organization here in Miami. You know, when you're finishing your master's, 
you have to write a final master's. For my team, it was a team of five people. There were two Nigerians on the uh, on the team, uh, you know, people from other places, it's a Spanish person, a Chinese person, just like that, you know, to reflect the diversity of mm. the school and of the program. So, you know, I took up a leadership role, a leadership position within the team. It was a difficult task because at that time, uh, our, the organization that was given to us to work on, which really had a real life problem of growing their membership was Greater Miami Chamber of Commerce. So it was at a point that Greater Miami Chamber of Commerce was having difficulty growing membership and also they were having challenges with growing revenue. So they had come to the business school to say, we want your students to do a research and propose to us how we can, you know, reform, innovate and move, you know, our market, the marketing strategies that we need to adopt to move us forward. It's the biggest chamber of commerce in South Florida. So I took up a leadership position. We did an outstanding job. And my hard work within the team, it, it became known. The, the project was well appreciated and, and praised by the business community, the organization. I made a final presentation to the organization, the board of Greater Miami Chamber of Commerce, and they really appreciated the work that we did. The school appreciated it. The president, it was commended by the president of, of our university at that time. Wow. So, so my integration came by, you know, I would say it came by default based on the work that we had done. Because after our presentation, they just said, you know what, we are, Kemi, you have to come on board to help us implement some of these things that you have talked about in your presentation. So I would say that when you are in a team, make sure, even though it's a team of four or five, a lot of people just cruise, you know, with the team. They don't work hard when it's a team structure. They yeah. feel they can hide under the team. People are watching. Absolutely. So when people are watching, they know who really worked hard within the team. Mm-hmm. Even if it's a team of 100, one person will shine, you know, within the team. So mm-hmm. I happened to be the person who really was outstanding and I was, I was brought on board to handle the implementation of our recommendation to the, to the organization. So, uh, you know, after your program as an international student in the United States, you have a period of practical training. They call it OPT. It's optional practical training that you are automatically given if you apply for it as an international student, at least at master's level. So it was a a project that ran for about six months. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I needed a place to also complete the remaining six months of my OPT because it was meant to be for a year. So Mm -hmm. after the six months ended uh, with the Greater Miami Chamber of Commerce, and I did so well there. Um, thank God for that. I went to the president and I said, but I wasn't doing, and even though I went there to implement the recommendations of the project, mm-hmm. I wasn't doing anything related to international trade or international business. But my passion and what I had studied and qualified for was for me to be national trade promotion. So mm-hmm. I went to the president when I was going to leave a few weeks before I left. And I said, hey, I know that you have a relationship. Because the economic development agency, all the economic development agencies work together closely in Florida. I don't know of other places, but there's a lot of collaboration with, among all the, the economic development agencies here. So I went to the president. I said, hey, my project here has ended. I have delivered my, my report. I'm going to be leaving, but I still have six months left of my internship. I am an international trade um, specialist, and I want to join World Trade Center Miami. I know you have a relationship. Can you recommend me? He wrote a very beautiful recommendation to the 
I, the president of World Trade Center is my friend. I would uh, recommend you. And it was a beautiful recommendation that he sent to the organization. Wow. So I went and the, the president saw that recommendation. There was no advert. So mm. World Trade Center did not place an advert to recruit anyone. It was based on the fact that I said, this is where I want to work. And mm. because of the perform my performance that, you know, and the confidence in what I can do, he recommended yeah. me to the organization. And I went there for a chat. And the woman looked at my resume and said, hey, absolutely, we are willing to have you on board. Wow. We have actually been looking for someone that can work on the African market. We have tried for 17 or 19 years to reach that continent. It's been difficult. Wow. So many agents. We have used so many people that failed. So if you can do this, we are going to give you this assignment. So wow. that, that was how it, it was for me. Wow. That is really, really yeah, fantastic. I think one key lesson which I've picked from, you know, the conversation so far is that when you find yourself in a team, you need to make sure you still pull your weight. Don't feel because you're working in a team, people are actually watching. People are watching. And when the opportunity presents itself, you need to make sure you are out there helping to actually provide solutions. So that's absolutely fantastic. It looks like you were just at the right place at the right time. But not just that. You were also, you know, putting yourself out there to help them find the solution to the problem that they were going through at that point in time. So I, I, I want to believe here, we've been talking about success stories, you know, how you've transitioned from Africa, you know, your, your education um, here in the United States, you know, getting into World Trade Center and also the Chamber of Commerce, you help with implementing a project. I guess there might be some challenging moments in your career. You know, all through as when you started, maybe first degree, you work back in Africa or even working in the United States. Are there any specific challenge you'd like to share with our listeners who that can give them some kind of kind of inspiration that this challenge is might come, but you know, you have to just keep going. Okay, so we we all face thank you so much again for that question. We we face challenges every day on the job, at the beginning, you know, midway um, through our career. But what I would like to talk about here, you know, when you come into the United States as a student, like I said, I came in as a student to do my master's. And then automatically when you apply after your program, you are given just a year for internship. Mm-hmm. Now, you, if, you, if you are interested in staying permanently or to have a permanent status, have a green card to be able to live in it. There are different levels of complications. This is, is, is not automatic that when you come in, you do your master's and then you just get a job. Like you said, it's difficult for people to integrate. Getting a job is difficult if you don't have the papers, it's difficult. And even when you, after the one year program, a lot of people still can't get retained in the system and they go away. So the challenge I would say that I faced at first was when I joined World Trade Center, the challenge, I told you that this is something that a project that they have been working on, an outreach to Africa for about 20 years that they have not been able to do successfully. So I, I, I joined the organization and I was presented with that challenge. We, we, first of all, to develop a program that would be able to ask, because I was also coming in at a, you said something that maybe I was at the right place at the right time. It was kind of like, that's very true because I was coming into that space to pursue an enhanced trade relationship between the U.S. and Africa. And it was at a time when the trade volume between the U.S. and Africa was rapidly declining. 
So it had fallen from about $100 billion a year to about 40, 30, or below $40 billion a year. So it's a strategic program was needed to help to bridge the gap so that um, you know, U.S. companies can do more business in Africa and also African companies can successfully do business in this part of the world. And the perception you know, also about the continent was a challenge. So I faced a, you know, a challenge of you may not be successful on this. Some of my colleagues told me, don't waste your time. Maybe you should go work on another project. Maybe you should join the Caribbean team. Maybe you should work on the team for Europe or Asia, but for Africa, because, you know, that place is undeveloped. That's, I'm giving you the feedback that I got, mm-hmm. the encouraging feedback that I got from some of my colleagues that felt, oh, we have tried that market. You know, they don't have good products. You know, they, they, there's so much poverty there. You know, you, there's really not, not, nothing much happening in Africa. So if you decide to work on that project, um, you, you may not be successful. And I said, well, you may have tried in the past. I will try. I'm an African. I understand the market. I will try. Mm-hmm. That presented a challenge to me because my expectations actually failed. The things that I, the program that I put in place, the outreach that I made, I actually didn't get the kind of response I was hoping to get from wow. some countries in Africa. So the first six months on the job, I mm-hmm. was struggling. Mm-hmm. I was struggling. My, my focus, and I don't want to mention any space because I told you I cover so many markets. My yeah. focus was some specific market. I'm from Nigeria. So by default, I was thinking, oh, I have my network there. I should mm-hmm. be able to get things done. But I didn't get any response. All the outreach, all the things, you know, the trade assistance I was marketing and telling them about opportunities I was exposing them to, mm-hmm. nobody responded to me from that angle. So, but I, after six months of struggling on the journey, every month, every week, I have to submit a report to management on what I'm doing, the progress I'm making. Yeah. And that wasn't forthcoming. So that really was, uh, put me under pressure. And I had a deadline of about, uh, to deliver by September. We, and the, the project was for me to bring a lot of companies from Africa to exhibit their pro- program and through the market access platform that we, for more than 20 years, and we have successfully run so that they find buyers, their products. So that didn't go well the first six months, but I, I, I eventually changed my strategy mm-hmm. and eventually it turned out to be a very successful project that I handled for the first time. And I would say that, that it was so successful. That was in 2016 by September. I changed my strategy when I wasn't you know, doing well six months into on the job and the change of strategy worked for me and I was able to really record the kind of success that they haven't had in 20 years. That wow. was something that helped my organization to write a strong recommendation for me when I applied for my permanent resident um, status in the U.S. Mm-hmm. I actually, the performance made me to be qualified to, 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 to get a, a particular visa category in the U.S. that's called EB1. That's Alien of Extraordinary Ability. I oh. got high, a high, very high reading that qualified me to be able to get into the U.S. Uh, having a permanent resident uh, status under that visa category. So, yeah, those, those were the challenges I faced. But um, there are ongoing challenges on the job. But that initial one was really very scary. Wow. Because, wow. Oh, I, I can imagine. And, you know, being like new into the role, then you might be wondering, oh, my God, this is just six months. There's so much expectation. And again, because people have said, oh, I don't think this is going to work. Yeah. You know, that will put you under pressure as well. So did you then, you know, you, you mentioned something about you had to change your strategy. 
what did you do? Did you? I'm not asking for specifics now because, of course, I know you won't be able to go into into all that. But did you have to take a back seat, look at um, what didn't work well, and now try to plot a new plan? What were the key things that you did at that point in time, which then turned thing around for good? Okay, so I prioritized the countries that I was reaching out to. Uh, you know, I was wasting so much time on some countries where the, the kind of response I was getting was not encouraging. I, the organizations I was reaching out to in those places changed. Sometimes you're looking at government or gov- if government is not responding, you have to look at the private sector. Private sector. So if the private sector is not responding, you have to look at trade associations and a combination of some of those factors. So for each market, I had to sit back actually. Um, I, I had to do a, a, an X-ray of each market to see what is going to work in Cameroon. Who can I? Who is going to help me in Cote d'Ivoire? Which organization or entity is the best to work with in South Africa and also in Senegal? Each it, different. It's a huge continent, and so each market is different. The dynamics is different, and so the strategy is also different. Some, I mean, some are also. French speaking, I don't speak speak French. So mm. I had to do um, a combination of strategies to see what applies well to each market and the outreach and the partners that I can develop on ground to help me achieve what I wanted to achieve. Wow, wow, that's great, great inspiration. Thank you for that. I think I really did find that useful. I also believe that as part of your role, you probably be involved in mission travel to different parts of the world. Of course, you cover some regions in, in Africa. How are you able to strike a balance being, you know, a mother, a wife, a career person, strike the balance in between when you have to travel and also the kids and do all that? So how are you able to do it successfully? In terms of balance, okay, let me talk a little bit about also what I do and how often I have to travel and the kind of support that I have. The job that I do... um, now, as the director for Africa Trade Expansion Program, let me just quickly talk about it a little bit. Now, the, the, when I joined in 2016, it was, a, it was just a project about, oh, we need to get people in Africa to know that there's a market access platform for them to be able to reach this market. And that was the first project of, okay, getting that information out and also getting companies to be able to bring their products. So the first thing we did was to create a pavilion for Africa, which I managed because um, one of the difficulties we are facing, uh, why we are not doing so well in this market in terms of being able to bring African products to this market, and this is something that I'm very passionate about. I told you at the beginning when I was introducing my organization that we do two-way trade. We support, um, you, uh, you know, between the Western Hemisphere and other global markets, and we support companies that are going out and those that are coming in, meaning import and export. Mm-hmm. Essentially, my focus as a Nigerian, as an African, is to support African products to be able to come to this market. That is why we create the Africa Trade. That is what the Africa Trade Expansion Program is supposed to address. For U.S. companies that are interested in selling their product to Africa, they have so many resources. They have so many assistance available to them. So I really don't focus more on supporting them, but my passion and is to be able to help our product from Africa to be able to come into this market, particularly that we have an AGOA. I don't know if you know about AGOA. AGOA is Africa Growth and Opportunity Act that allows us to bring our, some of our products from, from sub-Saharan Africa, about 7,000 products into the U.S. market without duty and without tariff. Wow. But we are not, this is something that has been going on for about 20 years where we have not really maximized. So when the first project was done in 2016, and we saw the kind of products that came from Africa, 
that made us to develop this program because there's a lot of problem. There's a lot of problem. Today, if you walk into Walmart or any of these grocery, big grocery stores, it's very hard for you to find any product, refined product, food product or whatever that is made in Africa. Even honey, you can't find, you, it's hard for you to see honey that's made in Africa. So we developed this program so that we can help people, we can help small businesses understand the market break through the regulatory barriers, improve their quality, and we, so we have a team of experts that you're working with. What does that mean? What does that entail? We have to travel back and forth. We have to take our experts to, the con- to different countries to look at the product that they have and to also to look at the product they have and to, re- to, to suggest recommendations on how they can improve those products so that they have um, a smooth entry into the America's market. Yeah. So this... Also, the program also requires that I develop a very broad partnership base um, across Africa. And so I have, we have a robust outreach to multilateral agencies. We, have, uh, we signed an MOU last year with Afrexim Bank. Afrexim Bank is our partner. We're working with them, AFDB. So, so we, we support a lot of initiatives. So this requires that we travel back and forth. So how do I balance that? I have a very good support base here. Uh, in terms of the community that I belong to. I have good friends that look after my kids when I'm not here. And I have the church family also. So yeah, um, pretty much it's difficult. I try not to stay out more than two weeks at any point in time. Whether I take you know companies out of the US to Africa or I'm there alone because of other speaking engagements and all of that. I I try not to stay out for more than two weeks at any point in time when I have a good system that is working, that has worked so far for the past six years. Absolutely. Yeah, that, I think that is great to, to know that. I think the popular proverb that say it takes a village to raise a child. So having a, you know, a good support system obviously would, would help, you know, in, in, in enabling you to be able to do all those things you, you do. Aside work, 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 I know you, you spend time with family as well. What do you like to do in your leisure time? Do you have any fancy thing you like to do when you're not busy working? When I'm not busy working, I, I go for sightseeing. I, I, I travel on the road. I do a road trip. Just this. Do you yeah. love nature? Do you love nature? Just going to see things out there? Uh, I like shopping. Nature, I like, uh, <laughs> if you say naturally, it's water. I like to see the ocean. So yes, I go to the beach, I go on a cruise, and then I took a road trip. Uh, we were in Naples over the Easter period. So we, we just try to go to different places that we haven't been before. Over the Christmas period, we were in Key West. So we try to do a few you know, trips, road trips, cruise, and all that. So I like to be with my family, my kids to spend the time that I have with them because most of the time I'm busy because I also write, I write, I speak, I like to enjoy my time with my family. I visit restaurants. I eat out a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Great, great to know that. Yeah. Also, we know from, like you did say, you you write a lot and I know you have seen lots of articles or maybe you would have even written an article yourself as well about the current statistics which indicates that the African continent will possibly be the, the next economic boom. We, we can see different trade negotiations going on in the continent. So what are your thoughts about trade in Africa and how people, diasporans, 
when I say diasporas, I mean Africans who have moved out of the African continent and now find themselves living in developed economies like in the US, Canada, England. How do you think we can all work together to build the African continent in respect to trade? Okay, that's a very interesting question that I'm very passionate about. I'm very supportive of the African continental free trade area. I'm actually very involved in, in, the, in the process and also in the implementation of that. And, and just before I go into details about how we can help Africa to do more in terms of trade and all of that, that you just raised, I'd like to quickly talk about the, the fact that the perception about Africa is actually changing. You talked about, oh, Africa is the next economic boom. That is, that's a fact. Previously, I, I mentioned that in 2016, the perception in my office when I said I was going to work on this African project was, oh, okay, there's, there's not, that's not a market with potential. That has changed drastically over the last couple of years now. I, I, just, returned, I just returned from a trade mission to Africa, about three countries, just early, early this month. And previously, when we go on trade missions like that, we want to take U.S. companies to Africa to look at the market, explore the market. And it's difficult. Uh, we used to really have a difficult time recruiting U.S. companies that are interested in you know, joining us on a trade mission. Maybe sometimes we, for us to get about eight to ten companies was difficult four or five years ago. But now, this year, the trade mission that we just came back with, we had about 25 companies. Ah, we went wow. about 25 U.S. companies to different countries in Africa. So, meaning that the interest is changing, the perception about the market is changing, and everybody has seen that that is the next frontier, that is the next China, actually. So, and so the perception is changing. It's a huge continent with a lot of opportunities. We know that the population is an advantage. We know that the youthful population is also an advantage if it is properly maximized. So, but there are also a lot of challenges in terms of connectivity, in terms of the infrastructure and all that. So the Africa Continental Free Trade Area is an effort to create a single market. Going to really help those that are really prepared for an opportunity like this because really it's a survival strategy for Africa. I don't know how Africa can actually do well and become a global market and really integrate into the global market without integrating as a single market. I'm actually serving as a member of the Advisory Council on the Intra-Africa Trade Fair. So talking about trade in Africa, we have the lowest regional trade in the world. Mm. So that's a challenge. Somebody that is selling a product in Nigeria doesn't have a way of selling that product to Ghana. Mm. So an exporter in Nigeria has no connectivity to an importer in Senegal. And so the continental free trade area is going to create a platform where we know each other. Ghana can trade with Nigeria. Senegal can trade with Cote d'Ivoire. Because what is happening right now is that what is being sold in Egypt, what is available in Egypt, mm-hmm. Kenya is buying from Thailand. And oh. it's available in X. And I will just give you an example. Egypt has excess production of pharmaceutical products. Yeah. And is looking for markets to sell these products to. Egypt mm-hmm. is part of North Africa. Mm-hmm. But Kenya has, uh, 70% of Kenya's pharmaceutical is imported from other countries in Asia. It's a no-brainer. So uh, when I said that regional trade in Africa is the lowest, is about 17% right now. That's the poorest in the world. In the, within the EU, is over 60%. Even Latin America has over 20%. 
So these are some of the numbers that these multilateral agencies and are looking at in Africa. They're looking at this and are looking at ways to address challenges. It's going to be good generally for the continent because our local market is better for us and we'll be able to negotiate as one market. So what can diaspora do? Mm-hmm. The people in the diaspora, what can they do to support this? We have trading services. The, the service industry is really contributing more to the GDP of the continent now than the manufacturing sector. So there's so many, there's a lot that the diaspora people can do. Market entry strategies like franchising that we haven't really maximized in Africa. So when the market opens up, somebody who is in the service industry, for example, a hairdresser can standardize a process and Mm -hmm. franchise that business, just create a unique business name, standardize the process. And because it's an open market for you to operate across Africa, you can sell your your, your name. You can can Mm -hmm. use franchising as a strong tool. So I, everywhere I go to speak, I talk about how that will be a strong weapon for the people in the service industry. If you are running a restaurant, even if it is Mama Josephine restaurant, <laughs> once, people, once people know that when you have a standard recipe yeah. and that the taste is going to be the same and they love your product, when they get to Lagos, they mm-hmm. will look for your restaurant. When they get to Inshasha, they're going to look for your restaurant. When they get to Nairobi, they're going to look for your restaurant. So you have people that you can, you just need to do a lot of marketing to yeah, get the yeah. name to be known. And yeah, then yeah. it becomes a very strong mm-hmm. opportunity for okay. other people to come into the network. Mm-hmm. And that's how people use franchising to build mm-hmm. a very strong network across the globe. So many multinational companies that we see today, actually through franchising. And yeah, licensing. likes of McDonald's, KFC and all that. Yes. So, so I see yeah. I see a lot of that developing. And this is where the diaspora people can see, look at the model that works here in the US or wherever they live in the world and go to Africa to create something small and use a very unique marketing strategy to get that name known within the continent and then just franchise it across the continent. I'm really very passionate about this and this is something I've written about. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think for myself, I've learned a lot from this conversation and it was truly a privilege to have you on the show today. And I'm sure our listeners are going to learn a lot as well. And especially on the trade side, there are a few things which we talked about today, which I didn't know existed. I'm sure our listeners too will look forward to take advantage of it. So it was a pleasure to have you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Africa Emerging Podcast with our guest on the show. I hope you enjoyed the show like I did. Please like Africa Emerging on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram. If you haven't done so yet, don't forget to subscribe and download this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play and Overcast. Like, share and review. Your feedback is extremely important to me. It will help me improve content provided on the show. Thank you for listening to the show. Spread the word on how Africans are changing the world. It's time to build the African continent. Subscribe to our newsletter on africaemerging.com.